Hello and welcome to DFS Coach Talk. This is the Monday, May 4th, 2020 episode, but it is still Sunday night and you are looking at Micah Patria along with myself, Andrew Hansen. So this, what does this mean? It means it's two days for Mr. Apatria because he handled the 49ers episode earlier today with Santino and he's back for a nightcap uh, Sunday night special primetime event to get ready for our Monday release of this podcast. Mike, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing swell. I feel like I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making, I'm making history here. Uh, I was not, I was a host earlier and now I feel like I'm the <laughs> guest on this one as well. So it's like, uh, it's been done before. So I'm here to make history, uh, blaze a trail of my own, I guess. And, you know, and, and tonight, nice, you know what I mean? I get to talk about my Carolina Panthers. I get to do a show with you, Andrew, you know, that's always a, just a pleasure. Uh, you're a gentleman, as I always say. So I, I really look forward to seeing you on the schedule when I get to do a show with you. Uh, we've built some good chemistry over this year, so I'm I'm happy to be here and uh, let's let's just have some fun talking about my awful team. Uh, so I'm looking forward to this. That's right, that's right. It's the Carolina Panthers, um, and it's amazing because not only do you have the versatility to host and and be the guest, um, but you happen to be a Panthers fan, so you're perfect here. A team that went 5-11 and 11 last year, but they have undergone probably as many or possibly more changes than any other team in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. A big a big haul um, in the offseason from top to bottom. Uh, they stripped it nuts and bolts, coaching staff, line, defensive, defensive. Everything's pretty much new uh, when you look at this team other than just their, you know, skill position players, even quarterback changed. I guess you can't even really fully say that, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's something uh, I've, I've been following the Panthers. I've been a fan of the Panthers for quite some time now. It's a crazy story how I first started actually liking the team. I, I first started getting into football. I was playing Madden with a couple of my buddies. I never had a favorite team, really. Uh, I, I hate being that bandwagon guy and, and just jumping on. And I think the Patriots were in the midst of a dynasty. So I couldn't just jump on and say I like the local team. Couldn't like the Giants because they're the Giants. And same thing with the Jets. Uh, I enjoyed playing with Carolina um, in Madden. I, you know, I was I, I from Jake Delhomme to Sean Foster, Musa Muhammad, uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Um, you know, all the way through the the John Beeson years, D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart, uh, Steve Smith was always one of my favorite players growing up. I loved him. I loved the the underdog, the five nine receiver that was just tough with tenacity. Also, that he would kick you know everybody's ass pretty much. I think he probably beat up seven teammates throughout his course of being a Panther and then uh, several other cornerbacks on opposing teams in fights. So it, it, it was it was always been a fanhood. And, uh, you know, like you said, a, a lot of changes. So, you know, I'm used to seeing Ron Rivera there, uh, you know, before then Fox. So uh, but they bring in Matt Rule, very defensive minded uh, coach. So very similar to what Ron Rivera was kind of picking up where he left off. Uh, and getting an overhaul. When we look at their team now, the whole new defense, pretty much, they let a lot of guys go. Uh, Luke Keekly, sudden retirement, obviously, is probably the most detrimental thing. They tried out Gerald McCoy at D-tackle, didn't exactly work out how they would. He's aging veteran, so to expect what you're going to get Tampa Bay kind of uh, McCoy out of him was a little unexpected. But uh, he's spending some time over there in Dallas. Uh, Bradbury um, came onto the scene. He was absolutely just excellent for their secondary and just Bottom line, you couldn't pay for him. Uh, he was he was due, and they knew that, so they they had to let him walk. Um, 
you know, there's I, I can keep I can keep going here. Uh, Vernon Butler, <laughs> uh, Mario Addison, two guys that were just staples. Addison holding down the D, D front uh, didn't, you know, could, couldn't keep them. I mean, when you're doing an overhaul, you do an overhaul. And then Eric Reed, part of their secondary, it's, you know, the secondary was uh was rough uh and it's not and it's not getting any better i mean that was probably their best part their their deal um their rush their rush defense was absolutely dreadful i think it was 31st in the nfl last season bottom of the barrel might even been 32nd uh but their secondary was like their i guess their lone bright spot when you look at uh itself wasn't too good it was middle of the pack i think it was 13th in touchdowns 13 yards when you look at it so uh they lose both those guys they bring in a lot of young in in the draft they went all defense they didn't take one offensive player in the entire draft so and then uh when you look at the overhaul as far as offensive coordinator bringing in a new one as well uh they get joe brady guy out of lsu coming off a national championship tons of success we've never seen a, a team have more first round uh picks taken and many of those guys were from the offense uh of joe brady and then two years prior to that he was over there in new orleans playing with the saints so uh, i was really excited to see brady cam come in because then you see that signing of the big signing of bridgewater is making pretty significant money and uh part of the reason was the season that he had coming back with uh with brady over there so he's very familiar with his system very familiar with the things that he wants to accomplish over here in carolina now so uh, i'm pretty pumped about that signing it just kind of made perfect sense and uh, Brady, um, he's, he looks like he's just a genius, to be honest. I'm really super excited about this guy being over here in Carolina. He was able to do some special things with that LSU, uh, LSU team. Uh, and we kind of seen just the magic that's been going on as far as offense uh, in New Orleans for the past few years. And there never been a stale offense in New Orleans. We've seen them adapt and change and mix and match different things and different players. And, um, you know, just kind of seeing what they're doing with Taysom Hill. We were laughing a little bit before we got on air. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about the, the, the quick story when we hit the draft section about what happened between uh, New Orleans and Carolina during the draft and, and Joe Brady and, and Sean Payton. But uh, that's a funny story. Uh, and then we got Phil Snow, uh, you know, just been been with Matt Rule, you know, through thick and thin since 2001. Uh, Rule was actually part of his uh, defensive regiment when he was over at UCLA. Uh, and then Temple and Baylor as well. You, you've talked about that or we talked about that a little bit before on air. Um, several years he's he's part of his system he knows exactly what he wants to do uh rule's gonna have his fingers in this defense but it snows his guy and through thick and thin and this regime is going to be very close together they're all young they're all very uh college experience coach very little nfl experience between the group of them um so i'm expecting just a big youth movement and it's probably going to be a little bit of a quicker pace offense when we're looking um just with all the young uh, uh college coaches that's kind of the the mentality of what that we're looking at and you know, we've kind of seen that transition over the NFL over the past few years, the way it's become a pass-heavy league. Yeah, well, nice general overview there of all these major changes. It's just it's just massive. Um, yeah. I want to touch on some of the defensive weaknesses for this team last year. Um, kind of surprising. They started 5-3, and three, but then they just went downhill. They lost their last eight, finished 5-11. and 11. As you mentioned, Rivera's gone. And their defense... Um, just really poor. It's the only way you can describe it. They gave up 470 points, which was 31st in the NFL. They gave up 31 rushing touchdowns, which was dead last in the NFL. Um, so th- this was a team in terms of DFS that you could really attack with your offensive players, especially a rushing attack. And so for a team that went 5-11 and was that poor defensively, it makes some sense that they went with a major overhaul 
from top to bottom. So you mentioned it, Matt Rule, with that defensive mindset, uh, had a lot of success with Phil Snow as his defensive coordinator in college. And then the young uh, hotshot Joe Brady uh, on the offensive side. Uh, so we'll get into that as well. But um, you also mentioned, you know, some of the, the key players that they lost, like Keekley. Um, not only was he just a stud with all the tackles throughout his career, but he, looking at these turnovers, um, not only was the defense terrible, but they've lost a lot of their key playmakers. Keekley had two interceptions. Reed had two fumble recoveries. Bradbury had three picks. And the team only forced 21 turnovers. So about half of their turnovers forced on defense. Those players are gone. And that's part of the reason why Matt Rule and the organization drafted all seven players in the draft were all defensive players. And we'll circle back to that a little bit at the end. But on the offensive side, major changes there as well. They lost their longtime quarterback, Cam Newton, who they released. Kyle Allen, who ended up starting the majority of the games last year and was very average. They traded him to Washington for a fifth-round pick. Um, Greg Olson, longtime tight end, he's gone. So a lot of the veterans on both sides of the ball are gone. Uh, entire entire new coaching staff. Um, so it's going to be a much different look for your Panthers, Mike. Um, and we got a lot to break down here with uh, with new faces on on the offense. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's obviously we, we could talk about their offense um, in, at length in, in nausea from last season. Um, you know, as bad as it was, Christian McCaffrey was lights out, probably the best football player for fantasy, for DFS, for, you know, outside of Lamar Jackson um, that we've seen in quite some time. Just, you know, breaking records, the amount of yards from scrimmage, the plays from scrimmage that he had. Everything in their offense was pretty much solely focused around him at that point. Um, and then we saw down the stretch them kind of running him into the ground just because they wanted to break the records. Obviously, they didn't want to, you know, play him that much. But, uh, you know, before we just jump into the running back and Christian McCaffrey, obviously Cam Newton leaving, I think quarterback is the number one concern. Uh, you know, coming off of that injury, the Liz Frank injury, started the first two games, clearly wasn't right, rushed himself back in, in training camp. He was coming off the shoulder injury as well, shoulder surgery. So this dude was not healthy and he wasn't ready to play. Um, you know, personally, I'm, I'm being a Panther fan. I kind of wish that they kept Cam Newton. I think he's a very special talent, not even with his legs, just his arm strength. The guy is overall one of the best quarterbacks in the league still, in my opinion, uh, even at his age. I still think he's has some left in the tank, and I think we'll probably see whatever team he's starting for he's going to thrive with. But I understand that the, at the same time with that given sentiment that he needed to change the direction. Uh, Rivera was leaving town as well. So it, it was at the time. He was, he was over the third. So why not just see Bridgewater a couple years younger? Yes, Bridgewater's got some miles and injuries on him himself. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a good signing. He's, he's a very fundamental quarterback. He doesn't make mistakes. So we talked about how bad their defense was. Um, as far as passing yards under Kyle Allen, uh, they were 20th, uh, 3,650 yards in the air, 17 touchdowns, though, which was uh, 31st in the NFL as far as passing touchdowns. Uh, and then the rushing, obviously the positive. As far as yards, that's the thing, though. Uh, it was basically solely all on Christian McCaffrey's back. They, uh, they didn't have a secondary back. He played basically 100% of the snaps week in and week out. So as good as he was, they were 14th in total rushing yards, 1,819, uh, 18, I'm sorry, and then 20 touchdowns. So that's the good part about McCaffrey is that he was scoring on the ground, I believe, uh, 15 rushing touchdowns and 20 overall rushing touchdowns for the team uh, gave him fourth in the league. So... 
those are the positives. Those are the negatives. Um, could we expect that same type of workload from McCaffrey again? It's hard to imagine, especially knowing that they're probably going to have another losing season in this rebuild, that they're not going to push him too, too much. But uh, we'll slide right into the quarterback play. Teddy Bridgewater coming over. We touched on it earlier. Uh, he's, you know, has that one season under Brady, kind of getting an idea of what he likes to do for an offense. I think that's definitely going to benefit for him. Uh, you know, looking at, you know, what we can expect from Bridgewater. Uh, he played well in, in Breeze's absence last season. I think that's that was the testament. It was kind of could do coming off that injury many people thought he wouldn't even be able to play football again uh, but in five starts he had 196 uh, attempts for 133 completions for 67.9 completion percentage rock solid completion percentage anytime you see above 65 you're a serviceable quarterback you want to see over that you know 70 mark to say that you're pretty accurate um, but you know I think that's definitely room for improvement we're talking about a guy that was coming off with severe injury getting thrown right into the mix um, and then he also had nine touchdowns only two interceptions so QBR solid 99.1 compared to Kyle Allen's of an 80 that we're talking about this guy was a turnover machine uh, had 17 uh, TDs to his 16 interceptions uh, really struggled with a 62 percent completion percentage he was just off the mark on a lot of his throws and one thing I wanted to to point out and when we're looking at just a small sample size of Bridgewater last year is when you look at the completion percentage of 67.9 he was on target on these throws on 81.3 percent of them so he's on target on a lot of his throws and that's what you want to see it's you know completion percentage is great sometimes things happen where the throw gets into traffic maybe it's the receiver's fault a lot of the times uh, but Kyle Allen was uh, on target 76.2 percent so a significant difference of about five percent um, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing what Bridgewater can do in this system. Um, you know, good weapons. They're bringing in Robbie Anderson, a nice, solid, deep threat who, you know, when we look at what he did over there in the Jets, uh, he, the separation the guy gets is insane. Just never could get a guy that can be always overthrown or underthrown, can never get an on-target pass. So the frustration was mounting on him in New York. He's getting a new change of scenery. DJ Moore, uh, great weapon. In his third year, he's looking for another breakout. Kind of broke out last year, 1,100 yards. Didn't get the scores that we wanted, but those will come. Uh, it was the Feed McCaffrey show last season. you got to expect him to rebuild with a quarterback that can actually uh, be competent and, and put the ball in his receiver's hands, make smart decisions, not make forced errant throws, which in, in essence forces the defense back on the field. Uh, you, we touched on how bad their defense was and why they were so bad uh, against rushing, and it's because they were trailing all the time. Teams were just grinding out the clock on them. So uh, that was the theme. You know, Teams didn't have to throw against them because they were leading 14 points half the time. So uh, now they're going to actually have a quarterback that can you know, game manage, manage the situation, has NFL experience, has playoff experience. Uh, so I think all that's going to be a big difference. So I, I, I'm, I'm – getting way too fired up talking i'm kind of bouncing all <laughs> over the place i know i was supposed to just stick on on quarterback a little bit but um you know i breezed through kyle allen a little bit i breezed through um you know bridgewater a little bit i don't know if you if you wanted to say anything on those guys before i just get to the ultimate sexy xfl pj uh but it's up to you yeah so on bridgewater um some of the stats that i thought were key that you mentioned last year that ball control he had nine touchdowns and two interceptions uh, but historically, you know, in Minnesota, he was more of a one-to-one ratio in terms of touchdowns to turnovers. So, you know, a lot of that can be attributed to his youth, I think. But I think it was very important that he was much better in that category last year, taking care of the ball. So Carolina certainly has to be excited about that. And you also mentioned his success when Drew Brees was out. They were 5-0 and in his five starts. 
He won in shootouts. He won in low-scoring close games. You know, they had that 12-10 win over the Cowboys. They had the shootout against Seattle that they won 33-27. So he he showed that he, as you said, he could game manage and and get the W. And what's more important than that is taking care of the ball, finding out a way to win. And even though he had two games that were low-scoring, where he didn't need to do much through the air in those five starts, his average fantasy point output in those five starts was 17.72 and uh, on DraftKings. And just to give you a little context, that's more than Jared Goff averaged per game last season, a guy who took his team to the Super Bowl just two years ago. So uh, I really like, you know, the, the trend for Teddy Bridgewater as he's starting to mature and get more experience. One thing I also noticed that is, is a bit of a downside, and I'm wondering if it'll ever change, is he really he hasn't ever rushed much as a quarterback. You know, last year he he tucked it under 28 times for just 31 yards, didn't get in the end zone. Very similar in Minnesota and very similar in college. He actually averaged less than one yard per carry in college. So that's just something that hasn't been a part of his attack. And I think that certainly hurts his ceiling in fantasy. But um, we do have to mention the connection again with Joe Brady, because in 2018, Joe Brady was an assistant with the Saints while Bridgewater was there. So they have that long-term relationship having worked together. Uh, and both of them have to be so excited for this new opportunity. Joe Brady's first chance to be an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Bridgewater finally getting to start again after dealing with those injuries. Um, so in, in general, um, do you think that uh, – tell me just a little bit about the offense that you – you know, how it's going to look. Because uh, Brady – Certainly coming off that national championship with you know major passing numbers with Burrow, um, do you expect a lot of you know three wide sets for Bridgewater, where they're going to pass you know early and often? I do expect more three wide sets. I mean, last year it's something that they kind of wanted to do. The thing is, is that they expected to have Cam Newton coming into the season. This whole you know, unfortunately he was brushed back, and they were really expecting to have that that option where he can roll out and use his legs if he need to. Uh, but he also had the big arm as well. Um, they struggled. They didn't have the other outside receiver that they wanted. So at times, you know, Curtis Samuel, he's really an inside receiver. He's really a slot receiver. That's his primary role. That's his best position. There was times last season where they tried him outside here and there. Wasn't his position. They tried Jarius right outside. Not that very, not very good of a receiver. Uh, and then DJ Moore was excellent, but you know, obviously he was, you know, he's a stud talent coming out of the draft. They knew everybody knows about him. Um, he, he had some of the best intangibles when you look at his combine stats and his overall rating when he, during his draft class. So um, he was drawing some double coverage himself, still able to succeed here and there, but they just really didn't have another option. Now with Robbie Anderson out there, Curtis Samuel being able to play that slot role primarily for every single down, um, they're going to try a little bit more of three wide receiver sets, especially knowing that this team's still going to chase. Uh, losing all those guys on defense, yes, they drafted all defense. They're going to be playing from behind, I would say, 14 out of the 16 games. I wouldn't be shocked if they're playing from behind. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a three wide receiver set, is very possible. Ian Thomas is a guy that is going to be primarily playing tight end now with Olsen out. He's a four, seven speed guy. He's got good hands. He can block pretty solidly as well. So they're, they're going to have some options and, and Brady's going to have some fun with this team. Um, we've seen the saints run, you know, where he's assistant, plenty of three wide receiver sets. That's kind of always been their tradition. We've seen LSU win a championship on three wide receiver sets uh, last season. 
um, with all their guys. So this is kind of what he's walking into, and I, I, I firmly believe that it's going to be a pretty very similar system with the three wide receiver sets. But obviously, um, you know, getting McCaffrey involved is still going to be a key focus of theirs. It's not like they're going to go away from that. Uh, are they going to take the foot off the pedal? I hope so. Uh, they just signed this guy to $16 million a year. Uh, you know, you got to imagine that they're not going to give him as many touches as he had over 400 total touches last season. So I, I can't imagine that they do that again. But, um, I mean, it's it's going to be a wait and see. When you're playing from behind, you know, you're going to put the ball in your playmaker's hands. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just incredible that he had over 400 touches. So we'll get to him in a sec. I just want to hit the backup quarterbacks real quickly. Will Greer is still in town. He did not do much with his opportunity last season. Uh, 28 of 52, 228 yards, no touchdowns, but four picks. And then P.J. Walker, they signed out of the XFL. Uh, no surprise there because he was at Temple with Coach Rule. He passed for over 10,000 yards at Temple. Uh, he went 28 and 19. Uh, and then with the Houston Roughnecks in the XFL, he went 5 and 0 and, and threw for 15 touchdown passes. So. Uh, that'll be that'll be a fun dynamic there for those two guys to reunite. Uh, PJ Walker uh, come in and you know pushed for one of these backup roles. Um, so th- those are the two guys right now, sort of at the head of the line. If 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 Bridgewater goes down uh, to step up, and you know you got to figure it'd be a major step down for Bridgewater. So hopefully he'll stay healthy, but. But let's transition right into the running backs here. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about McCaffrey. And, you know, just to just to sum it up one more time, the only real strong aspect of their team last year was their rushing and the overall performance of McCaffrey. You mentioned their 20 touchdowns, fourth in the league on the ground. They also averaged 4.7 yards per carry, which was sixth in the league. So uh, it certainly makes sense to build your franchise around McCaffrey with that long-term deal. You mentioned the 400 touchdowns. Um, what what a just unbelievable, unique season he had last year. I, you know what? I would like to say I didn't see it coming, but uh, I did. And you know, I, I I don't I don't like to get on my uh, on my soapbox often and and brag when you say you call it. And uh, but I remember, and I always like to reference our hometown leagues. As Santino knows, I said this, and he, he I got laughed at. I got laughed at. I said it was going to happen his rookie year that he had he was a guy that can use. I said his rookie year he'd uh, rush for 800 and catch for 800, and I said eventually this guy is going to rush for a thousand and catch for a thousand, and he did it within, you know, a lot sooner than I expected. So uh, he's an absolute stud. Uh, you know, the the intangibles he has is is just off the chart. His speed, his quickness, his versatility. He, the guy can block too. Um, he's an absolute stud. 287 rushing attempts for 1,387 yards. You talked about the Panthers ran for 4.7 yards per carry. They averaged as a team 4.7. McCaffrey averaged 4.8. So it just goes to show that, you know, we talked about it, 1,800 yards pretty much on the ground as a team. He had 1,400 of them. There really was no other go-to guy um, or anybody whatsoever. We'll get to uh, Reggie Bonifant in a minute, but, um, you know, I, I, I expect to see a very similar type of workload. Obviously, you know, geared back just slightly coming into this year. He had 15 total touchdowns last se- or 15 rushing touchdowns last season, five receiving touchdowns or uh, four receiving. So 19 total touchdowns, uh, 142 targets last season. Uh, 116 receptions, 1,005 receiving yards, and that's what got him that 1,000-1,000 threshold break, um, breaking that record. And 
we saw them really force feed him in that last game. He had one of his best games. But uh, one thing I think is interesting, he had three, he had three 40 plus DK point games last season. Uh, when you get a guy in your lineup that's getting 40 plus, you can get pretty much take a zero and still feel comfortable cashing. Um, and that there's not very often that that happens. And then he had, I believe it was eight. I'm sorry. I have to, I almost have to like look at this stat just to make sure I wrote it down just to make sure it's, uh, it's actually uh, correct. He had eight point seven six more points on average in DK than the second running back, which was Dalvin Cook. So Dalvin Cook averaged about 21.2 uh, and McCaffrey averaged 29.82. There's the gap between the number one and number two is, is never that big. Uh, you know, the, there's some years where it's, it's got to be a record breaking year. Like when we see what LT did his year where he broke the record with the chargers compared to like the number two, uh, you know, Sean Alexander, when you're looking at maybe what he did that year with the Seahawks and compared to his number two, when, it, when it's like a record breaking year is the only time you ever see something like that. So, I expect that gap to close a little bit. If he averaged 29.82 last year, I'm probably gearing him more towards like that 24 to 25 mark. Uh, take a few receptions away, maybe take a few rushing attempts away because they are going to want to ease back. But he broke 30 total tackles last season. So that's what I mean. Elusive. There's, you know, I think it was 16 uh, rushing, 14 receiving. Um, there's not another player like him. Uh, Saquon Barkley is another elite talent who can also be considered probably a receiver if he wanted to. But you just can't imagine that the Giants are going to use him the same way Carolina is. So only one fumble. Reliable as all hell. Uh, and like we said, almost 2,400 total yards from scrimmage. I, I can't put enough emphasis on this kid being a stud. As far as DFS, though, I'm probably not going to play him for the first two weeks. As everything nice I just said about him, I'm probably not going to play him for the first two or three weeks. I, I just expect him to be significantly uh, overpriced in the aspect where he's going to be the most expensive running back. And I'm expecting the workload to probably slowly be decreased i mean he's probably going to play uh you know 80 to 90 percent of the stops no matter what but i'm gonna you know maybe take my chance at like me and santino were talking earlier a guy like Mostart who's going to be underpriced getting an advantage of the underpriced guys who will slowly see their price rise uh in the first couple weeks and then ease back off the guys like we know that McCaffrey's going to be worth it but uh maybe i get a guy that's like 4k less than him that has a similar week yeah, that's that's the big question. Obviously, it always depends on price. And this guy was one of a kind DFS option last year. Incredible floor. He only had two games all season below 20 fantasy points on DraftKings. And 62.5% of his games were over 30. So his price did get up around 10K, got as high as 10.5K. But, you know, the guy was averaging about a 3X return no matter what. And you mentioned those ceiling games, two over 40, one over 50. Um, so so I would expect him to come in around 10K to start mm-hmm. the season. Um, but with, you know, the other weapon here in Anderson, whole new offense, uh, that'll be a tough caller in this, early in the season, whether whether to pay up for him or not. So we'll keep an eye on that as, as the season approaches. But I don't I don't it, want to cut you off either. But um before I forget, one other thing that you have to keep in mind is why he was so utilized is keep in mind who was under the helm. They didn't have a quarterback that could really throw anything. They just threw this young guy in there that couldn't make a throw accurately over 15 yards. So if you one thing I wanted to say is when you look at the total air yards traveled before being caught um, for Christian McCaffrey, it's actually negative. Uh, a lot of his catches were yak. He was also the league leader in yards um, in yak for 
all positions um, throughout over a thousand yards, yards after the catch. Uh, when you think about his yards, his total yards receiving were almost all yards after the catch. A lot of these were from behind the line of scrimmage or at the line of scrimmage. So negative 14 air yards for a guy that had over a thousand yards receiving is pretty, is pretty crazy. Yeah. And again, I mean, the Panthers didn't do much right last year, but that was the right decision. Get the ball out of Kyle Allen's hands, get it into McCaffrey's hands as quick as possible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so, when in doubt. Now, in case McCaffrey goes down, talk to me a little about a little bit about Reggie Bonifant. He's serviceable. He's nothing. Nothing really pops off the page. Uh, you know, decent speed, five, uh, four, uh, four, five speed, uh, two thirteen. Pretty much solid guy. So uh, he can run in between the tackles. Decent receiver as well. Nothing that's really going to light off, you know, you know, light up. Um, you know, he had 16 attempts. Good yards per carry last season, 7.3. Very limited sample size, though. He only had 16 attempts for 116 yards, one touchdown. So not much has been seen on paper for this guy. Um, I'm, I'm not, you know, overly excited about him. I don't think the Panthers are going to want to go to him. But uh, you know, obviously a guy that they're going to trust as uh, more of a complimentary guy now this season as just uh, as opposed to a backup. That's kind of my take on this. He's going to be, you know, McCaffrey's still going to see 80, 85 percent. But instead of a guy, you know, the secondary running backs that we were looking at last season, uh, you know, Bonifon being included as one of them was probably seeing 5 percent of snaps at most, 10 percent on, on a good day. Uh, it might take up to about 15 to 20 on some games, but still mostly going to be the McCaffrey show. Yeah, he really didn't get much of, a, of an opportunity. He had a 59-yard touchdown against Jacksonville. So other than that, he averaged 3.8 yards per carry. I have liked his form when I've seen him. Uh, you know, you mentioned the limit, limited sample size. They just, you know, McCaffrey just wouldn't let him take the snaps and, and get the touches. Uh, I, I think he's got some solid potential if he ever gets the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a, as you mentioned, unlikely that he'll get more than about 10 or 15% of the snaps anytime soon. So let's transition to the, uh, the wideouts. Uh, you've touched on all of them briefly. The new man in town is Robbie Anderson. Um, but let's start with DJ Moore, the guy who caught the most balls for Carolina other than McCaffrey, uh, managed to get more yardage than him. Uh, and, He's coming into his fourth year, and they're going to be counting on him a lot. Yeah, DJ Moore, I, I absolutely love this kid. Um, I talked about him, you know, during his his draft class. He just popped off the page as the clear best receiver. He had all the best grades, the best measurements. Uh, he has great speed, 4-4 speed, ran a 4-4-2 at the combine, 6-2, rock-solid size. He's everything that you can imagine. He's very similar. kind of reminds me of uh, Kenny Galladay, who we're seeing, you know, break out and looking like he's a top-10 receiver now. Uh, he was on everyone's probably uh, sleeper sheets going into years last year. And DJ Moore was probably on there as well. But I think DJ Moore is going to be looking at a very similar season of what Galladay had last season, really come onto the scene. He did it in his own right. He already did. He had 135 targets, almost 1,200 yards. Touchdowns were, uh, you know, a little bit lacking. We would like to see more than four touchdowns. But when your quarterback only throws 17, uh, you can't expect much more. And especially when you have a guy like McCaffrey just shattering records. But 64.4% catch rate. So, that has some room for improvement. We could see a little bit better. And again, I'm not taking that for granted and taking that too seriously with Kyle Allen and a quarterback. Obviously, your catch rate is going to be down when the, a lot of 
you know, things are hitting off your fingertips because they're out of reach. Uh, but he was pretty good yards after the catch, 384. That leaves for some room to improvement. Um, I think we're going to see that, obviously, with another dual threat on the other side of Robbie Anderson, less double coverage. So uh, safeties will probably shy away a little bit now. So um, definitely only four drops, too. So I'm um, not a guy that's really known for drops. But again, you know, it's not one or two. So there is room for improvement. Um, but it's also not somebody like DK Metcalf that we're, I was talking about, I think it was last week, where he had like seven or eight. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to him. He had four games at 20-plus DK points, so definitely uh, a receiver with some solid upside. And now with a better quarterback under helm, we could see uh, a couple 30-point games. I know he had one 34.4 game. That was like his ceiling um, on DK. But, uh, you know, not, I, I would expect him to be a little bit more of a possession-type receiver. Um, this season, you know, I, I said 135 targets, I could see him getting 90 catches. Well, that'd be another strong season. Um, and I want to ask you about Curtis Samuel next, because those two, for me, I just, I could never quite figure out whether I wanted to play either one of them last year. And so I usually didn't, and I didn't even play McCaffrey that much. Um, I, I usually tried to build a slightly more balanced lineup uh, instead of instead of spending up for McCaffrey. But, you know, these guys, um, they're factors. You know, you mentioned the 30 the point game for Moore and the, the three over the three others over 20. And then Samuel, you know, he was a lot a lot less explosive. He only had one game over 20, but he did have six touchdowns. So he had more touchdowns than more. Um, tell me about about Samuel and. You know, if 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 you have any insight into whether I would how I could figure out when to play him, um, I'd love to hear it. Well, I would say just attack, you know, any team that's just bad against uh, the slot receiver. It's it's a very easy thing to tell. Um, and right now, because now he's finally getting to play his primary position. So last season, uh, he had 105 targets. So it's pretty shocking when you look at a guy that only had 54 catches and he had 105 targets. And it was mostly, again, part of it's Kyle Allen, part of it's playing out of position for some of his routes. Um, but, I, I, you know, part of it is being a guy across the slot going across the middle, if that timing's not perfect, you know, you have to pull up or you're dead. So, you know, he was he was a guy that had a lot of allure coming into the season, a lot of hype. A lot of people were expecting him to break out because he is very athletic. A lot of teams were also inquiring on him right before the draft and during the draft because they thought the Panthers were going to part ways with him uh, just because of how, you know, underutilized he truly was. But, uh, you know, the six touchdowns, that's fantastic. I, I think, I you know, you it's hard to predict again another six touchdowns. I can see that. Uh, that's not asking for much. I mean, when we talk about last season, you know, when what's his name only threw for 17 touchdowns, five of them went to or four of them went to uh, McCaffrey in the air. Uh, five of them went to D, or four of them went to DJ Moore. Six of them went to uh, Curtis Samuel. There wasn't much meat left on the bone. I think two went to Greg Olson. So I think look it's at safe you to all say, traditional Rich, tonight. Bridges, meat, meat left yeah. on the bone. <laughs> yeah, meat left on the bone, juice on the bone is what I should have said, right? Yeah. Uh, Bridgewater is guaranteed to throw more than 17 touchdowns. So there's a little bit of uh, juice on the bone for every single one of these receivers. Uh, but I think for Samuel, his touchdown total will probably be very similar. I think best case scenario, you're looking at six, maybe seven. But you're going to be looking at more of a, a higher catch percentage. You're going to look at a little bit more yards, a little bit more receptions. I wouldn't be shocked if we see uh, about 60 to 70 receptions. 
um, from him just because, you know, Robbie Anderson's not a receptions type receiver. He's a deep ball type guy. He's a go route type guy. He's usually right around that 50 to 55 catch mark. And I think 50 to 60 at most is what we can predict from him. A nice 90 for DJ Moore as their number one go-to guy. Absolute stud. And then you're looking at probably, I think, about 60, uh, 65, 70 for their, uh, a very, very solid athletic Curtis Samuel in the slot. All right, well, let's let's talk about Anderson uh, coming into the mix here. Hopefully, Samuel will get better running routes. We'll have a higher catch rate this year. But uh, Samuel and Anderson are, are interesting to me because last year they're pretty similar in price tag. You know, DJ Moore got up to 7K on DraftKings, but Anderson and Samuel were more in that mid-5K range. And Anderson, despite having three games over 20 fantasy points, Never got above 5.7K, which to me is is a little bit surprising because we know he's got the deep ball potential. He's got he's got that upside uh, that I think is is much stronger than Samuel. Um, but h- how do you think Robbie Anderson will fit into the offense? Like I, I think he'll fit in great just because they've been looking for that guy that can create that much separation and get that much, you know, gain that much yards in one play. Um, when we look at a guy like Curtis Samuel, he was averaging 11.6 yards per reception. I think DJ Moore, uh, not too, too far behind him. Um, I believe he was at like right around that, like a 12.3 mark. I could be, I could be 13.5. wrong. 13.5. Thir- oh, 13.5. Yep. Uh, Robbie Anderson's 15. Right. Uh, and for his career, he's 14.8. So he is that deep ball guy. He does create that separation. And it's evident. The frustration was growing for him in the Jets. He was getting the separation. He was doing his job. Just couldn't get enough time. It, and it wasn't all, you know, uh, uh, Darnold's fault. I mean, he didn't have a lot of time. Um, but he was also making his own mistakes as well. So I, I think he's going to fit in great. I think he's going to allow that safety not to be able to just spy on DJ Moore every single time and uh, get for that double coverage. They're going to have to uh, play him over the top because he is a absolute burner. Um, if we look at his 15 starts last season, 96 targets for 15, uh, 52 receptions, 779 yards and five touchdowns out of 52, uh, 54.2 catch percentage. So, Again, a lot of missed throws, a lot of missed opportunities. Bridgewater, he's accurate. He's very accurate, and that's the one thing that you could say about him. You touched on it earlier. He's not a guy that uses his legs. He never has, and I don't expect that to change, especially after uh, suffering one of the worst knee injuries any any player in any sport can pretty much suffer. So he's going to sit there in the pocket, and he's been always good at that. He's not afraid to take a hit. Um, we've seen him actually knocked unconscious, unconscious on the field before because he took a big hit. Um, also a cheap hit. I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. Uh, I, I don't know if you remember that one uh, when he was kind of leaning forward on the first down when he was running it. But um, I'm expecting some. I'm expecting some pretty big things out of Robbie Anderson, and I think he's going to be a DFS darling just because he's that guy that never really sees that increased price tag. Because especially on DK, he's not a he's not a possession receiver. Uh, DK, the guys that you see up there in price tag are the guys that you know are guaranteed six to ten catches a game because that's six to ten points guaranteed a game. If they score, you're already looking at probably 20 guaranteed because no guy's going to catch six balls for 20 or 30 yards. So that's probably why. But, you know, he's a guy that four or five catches can get you 120 yards in a score and be that $5,500 price tag. And when you look at Carolina, you know, their receivers are guys that, you know, you never want to pair two of these guys together with Bridgewater anyway because they're going to spread the ball around. You know McCaffrey's going to get some love. You know DJ's going to get love. And now you can play Anderson as that nice, solid one-off guy in your uh, GPPs and and get a low-owned guy for a nice cheap to mid price tag that can get you 20 to 25, four or five, six times a year, possibly. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. I was just thinking about a potential stack on this team, and I I don't expect to play two of these receivers with Bridgewater unless it was on a short slate of some sort or, or the showdown, of course. But yeah, on a typical slate, uh, I, I don't think I would stack Bridgewater with two of these guys unless something develops with this offense that uh, is kind of hard to predict at this point. But uh, let's touch on the other guys in the receiving core who might get some time as a fourth receiver, or if somebody goes down, we've got Seth Roberts and Keith Kirkwood. Uh, I think that's the order of importance from my perspective. Yeah. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two? Roberts is just a veteran. He's very serviceable. Um, he's played in the slot. He's played a little bit outside. He's primarily, I think he's a little bit better off in the slot uh, throughout his career. We've seen that in Oakland when he was over there. Um, he had some some splashes, I guess you could say, when they had a, a receiving core that was pretty much in shambles. So uh, he was given a little bit of opportunity, made the most of it. So not somebody I'm expecting to really light up, uh, light the world on fire. He'll probably see about 30% of the snaps here and there, uh, and he could spell the slot receiver, and, and he could spell the outside receiver uh, as well. And Kirkwood simply just a depth play for them. Um, real quick before we get off of Robbie Anderson, because there's one more thing I wanted to say about him. Last season, he actually had the highest percentage of snaps he's ever played, which was 91%, and it wasn't even his best career year. Prior to that, the most amount of snaps he played was 78% in 2017. He'll probably be looking at about 90% of snaps again this season with an actual comparable quarterback. So I think we could be in store for what could be um, Robbie Anderson's best career year as far as just total output. Um, but he's also playing against probably one of the best receivers alongside that he's ever had to. So a couple things worth noting. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm really high on him. I think he's probably excited about having a new environment to be in. And uh, if he can get, build that chemistry with Bridgewater, you know, maybe it'll take a few weeks here. If the preseason is, uh, you know, difficult, uh, then, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't light it, light it on fire in the first few weeks, but uh, yeah, I'd be optimistic that this could be a career year for him. And uh, yeah, I, I'm agree. I, I agree with you on Roberts and Kirkwood. Kirkwood uh, was injured last year, but um, he's one of those guys again on a small slate. He found the end zone a couple times with the Saints. Um, so, so somebody to keep in mind. But uh, in terms of the tight ends, I know you're. Uh, I know you're excited about Ian Thomas as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm pumped about him. I mean, he's always just been super serviceable in, in whenever Olsen needed a spell. Um, you know, obviously, Olsen had a few seasons where he, two seasons in a row, I think he played nine games, one season, seven games, the other broke his foot in both of them. And it's his foot injuries have been one thing that plagued him. Uh, but Ian Thomas, big bodied guy, 6'4", 260 out of Indiana. He's drafted in the fourth round, ran a 4'7", 40. Um, and he's somebody that saw his snaps increase uh, last year, especially uh, right when Scott Turner kind of took over. So, um, you know, I'm excited about the kid. You know, he's, he's put together good numbers year in and year out. Um, very limited sample size. Now we're just going to see him get that extrapolated. He's going to see an opportunity, uh, probably about 70 to 80 percent of the snaps night in and night out, as opposed to uh, last season. I don't think he really even saw 70, 80 percent of the snaps until uh, what was it? Week 14, he played 80, 86 percent. Um, so other than that, it was Olsen pretty much up until 
you know, that mark. Um, and then he finally started getting some love, 86, 96% of the snaps. Other than that, the next highest was 59. So we're looking at a guy that's got some receiving upside. He's already established uh, with this team. He's already got a, a, a pretty good relationship, I believe, with Matt Rule. Um, one of the first guys that he called, believe it or not, once he knew Olsen was leaving, that he said, buddy, get ready to step up. This is your time to shine. And Thomas is not a guy I don't think he's going to shy away from it. I, I wouldn't be shocked if we see somewhere around six to 700 yards, three to four, maybe five scores. Um, he's going to be active. 50 catches, 53, 54 catches. Doesn't sound like anything that, like, you know, lights the world on fire. But when you talk about tight ends outside of the top three or four or five guys, he's probably he's probably edging for, you know, that seven or six or eight or nine mark uh, when we're talking about guys that could finish in the top 10 of overall rankings for DFS. Well, that'd be, that'd be terrific. That'd be a nice, uh, nice little bonus. I also got to mention my man Seth DeValve from Princeton. Uh, he's on the roster now. He's got five years of experience. He knows how to find the end zone as well. If he's given the opportunity, I can still remember him being an important play, sort of a surprise uh, value play. A couple times he scored a touchdown with the Browns and then last year's with Jacksonville. Uh, so he's got a chance to make an impact as well. Uh, Mike, before we transition to our draft coverage, I do want to mention uh, a little bit about our group here, DFS Coach Talk. Um we are unique in that we we hand build our lineups. We really focus on the eye test. Um, you know, you'll hear us talking about random plays here and there, or uh, slates from three or four years ago that uh, you know they they left that impression on us that we uh, you know we, we never forget. And so that's what that's how we try to build our edge. We actually watch all the games. And we watch the players and the coaches and body language and all that. So we don't use optimizers. Um, we just sort of organically uh, incorporate the stats with the eye test to build our lineups. And if you want to learn more about our group, you can go to DFSCoachTalk.com. Uh, we have three membership options right now, weekly, monthly, and yearly. And those are frozen until we get baseball or basketball back up and running. And as a member, you can participate in our group chat uh, discord where we run some simulations and have contests with each other and constantly sharing different data and insight uh, throughout the day on baseball, basketball and football. Those are our three sports. Uh, and then in terms of us as individuals, Mike, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter? Ooh, you can find me at Mike Apatria, M-I-K-E-A-P-O-T-R-I-A. You can find me at Language Olympic. Uh, Mike, last big topic here before we wrap up on the Panthers is their draft. And we've mentioned it briefly. They had a unique approach this year. All seven players they drafted were defensive players. They took three linemen, two safeties, and two corners. Um, do you think a couple of them will end up being starters here in week one? Yeah, I would say uh, there's a decent chance that three out of the first four picks could be starting week one. Uh, Derek Brown, uh, seventh overall pick out of Auburn, pretty much going to slot in there as they're starting nose tackle. Uh, he was a very polished NFL-ready type prospect. Pretty much the, you know, the, the undoubtedly like the best uh, defensive lineman prospect, best D-tackle. I can't say best defensive lineman. Chase Young was 
probably the best one of the best prospects in the past few years uh, when you look at that. But Brown's very NFL ready. Didn't have necessarily the, the highest upside of any player um, for you know the nose tackles in the draft, but he was definitely the most NFL ready and did some great things over there at Auburn. Really excited about him. He's going to slot in there and pretty much take over what Gerald McCoy was supposed to be doing. Uh, and he's going to be the face of this defense. Very young defense going forward. A lot of their veterans are gone now. So he's really got a chance to establish himself as a captain early on and be one of the you know the faces of this defense going forward uh second they took uh i love i love saying this kid's name uh year gross matos gross i love that just saying that he's got gross in his name out of penn state very good polished edge rusher uh, may not start right away, uh, but he'll definitely be finding himself on the field in several different packages. And eventually he's probably going to end up taking one of these end jobs. Uh, I would probably say midway or mid towards the end of the season. It's most likely going to be his job. And then one of my favorites that they had was in the second round as well. 64th overall, they took Jeremy Chin, the safety out of Southern Illinois. Uh, this kid's going to start, I think, right away. He's super athletic. Um, he's a playmaker. He's going to play those nickel packages and line up at linebacker here and there. Super excited. He's very good at um, you know covering those slot receivers inside, and he's very good at jamming. So I'm, I'm really pumped about this kid. Um, if he wasn't playing safety, there's probably five other positions he could play on a football field. Um, very excited. I, I can't say it enough. He's probably one of my favorite picks in the draft for Carolina. And then Troy Pride, I think, has a decent chance to start at corner with a few people like Bradbury leaving and a few other guys in their secondary um, already taken off so you'll see chin star for reed i think you'll end up seeing pride star for bradbury uh that's kind of the way that they plan this brown's going to start for mccoy and uh you know the other uh, other three guys that they took in the fifth round uh, 152 uh, 52nd overall they took kenny robinson out of west virginia safety uh purely depth uh bravion roy was another defensive lineman they took out of baylor that's one of rules guys um you know depth but one of you're one of rules guys who knows uh i wouldn't expect him to crack anytime soon though and then stanley thomas oliver cornerback out of uh, florida international uh seemingly a depth play and then i said uh, I'll, I'll let you touch on these prospects before i get to the fun the fun story that i alluded to earlier no go for it i want to hear about the uh the draft day drama so that's exactly what it is, and I'm really excited to talk about this. I might butcher the story, so I do recommend everybody look it up. There's a, there's a few Sports Illustrated articles, a few articles all over the place you can find on it. Uh, but in essence, uh, you know, Brady had his guy. He had one of his guys, a guy that he was really, really pumped up about, a kid named Tommy Stevens, quarterback out of Mississippi State. He's very Taysom Hill-esque. He's very versatile. He can play. He's very athletic. Uh, and basically, uh, he, went in, he went into the office and – you know, coaching staff, front office said, Brady, get your guy, do what you got to do. We want you to, you know, if you like this guy, make sure you get him. It was pretty much written in stone that he was going to be a Carolina Panther. He's talked to the team. He was excited to join the Panthers. He said this before the draft. Um, you know, they, they were going to take him with their sixth round pick. If they didn't draft him, if he wasn't going to get drafted, they were going to sign him as an un, uh, undrafted free agent. He was going to be a Panther. Uh, lo and behold, uh, Sean Payton catches wind of this, uh, knew that that Brady liked this guy, knew that he, this was going to be you know written in stone, uh, traded up for him, snaked him from the Panthers. He actually said to him, "Hey, listen, I know you committed to be a Panther. I know you want to be a Panther. I know you everything that, but we couldn't pass you up, and you're our guy. We're drafting you even if you don't want to be here." 
pretty much what they said. They didn't want to see him become uh, a Panther because then that they would have that Taysom Hill type player uh, and take a page right out of, uh, you know, the Saints playbook and be able to use that against them. So it was surely a snake move. They're probably not even going to use the guy. Obviously, they, they have Taysom Hill, so it's, they're not going to use two two types of guys in those packages. They surely just didn't want uh, Carolina to have this guy who was super athletic and can kind of do those sort of packages for him. Yeah, it's Gotta love that sort of thing in the draft and the um, competitiveness within the division. Um, so that that's going to be my final question for you, Mike. We've got um, the Panthers leading off our NFC South coverage. The Tuesday show uh, I'll be back on. We'll be covering the Buccaneers as we continue through the division. But with all these changes, do you think there's any chance the Panthers get out of the cellar in the NFC South this no. year? No. <laughs> I gotta be. It's one thing I went to school for sports journalism and for journalism in general, and uh, I I try to be a very unbiased, especially when it comes to my favorite teams. So you you hear me mention it a little bit more on, on DFS coach talk about what my favorite teams are because it's just fun. You got to have a favorite team to root for. But uh, you know I I try to remain very unbiased when it comes to favorite players and favorite teams. And I would be to say that the Panthers had any chance of getting anywhere other than fourth in this division. It's gonna be tough. Uh, you know the Saints still absolutely phenomenal team. Bucks building up with Brady, Gronk, everything else that they've done and their their weapons, their defense was already stellar. Um, and it's one thing when we get to the Bucks, I can't wait to, for for you guys to talk about it because how good their defense is. But when you look at the numbers, how bad it says it is, and it's simply because of Winston's 30 turnovers, uh, defense has to come back up on the field. But they have a great defense. They have a great offense. They're going to probably be lobbying for that for the number one team in the division. And the Falcons are still the Falcons. Um, rock solid defense, very good on offense, still have their major core. And then they bring in a guy like Todd Gurley. Um, it's going to be an exciting team to watch. So I can't imagine with this rebuilding team, them being anywhere out of the basement. I think they're going to be looking at probably another lottery pick next season. Uh, you know, top three or four pick bottom of the barrel team. So we'll see. We'll see. But hopefully I'm wrong. Prove me wrong, Panthers. I'd love to be wrong on this one, but I don't think I'm going to be. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you. Um, I, I think they'll have a trouble getting out of the cellar. But uh, I think the key DFS takeaway is that they will be involved in some high-scoring games. Yep. So they and they'll be playing from behind. So they're gonna they're gonna continue to uh, have high pass attempts, uh, especially in PPR. Hopefully they'll have lots of receptions for these guys. It's just gonna be. A, the key challenge of figuring out who to who to play, um, but there will be some fantasy points to be had um, for the Panthers Absolutely. in 2020. Yes, yes, there will fade um, fade Christian McCaffrey on Fanduel. Play Robbie Anderson week one. Um, make sure you do that, especially. And that's one thing that I don't think we touched on enough. You, Christian McCaffrey is not a guy that you should be gravitating towards on Fanduel in general, just because it's a non you know PPR. That's where he gets most of his points from, and you're paying for that PPR price tag pretty much. So. Um, that's something I, I wanted to touch on, you know, especially, uh, on FanDuel. I mean, if you, on DK, he's still going to get a ton of receptions, a ton of targets, but, uh, definitely on FanDuel, you want to keep that in mind that PPR, the, the extra 0.5 that you get for, instead of the half point to the full point is absolutely huge. There you have it. Some nice DFS advice from our man, Micah Patria. Uh, want to thank everybody for listening today. Uh, if you get a second, give us a thumbs up or a like wherever you're listening, uh, our podcast can be found everywhere that podcasts are available. And we're bringing you these podcasts seven days a week. We're in the middle of 32 straight days of one NFL team per day as we make our virtual tour 
around the NFL. As I mentioned, the Tuesday show will be uh, featuring the Buccaneers. So uh, please do tune in for that. On behalf of Micah Patria, I am Andrew Hansen. Thank you so much for watching and listening to DFS Coach Talk.